we go. We're coming at you with a brand new show. It's the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm Joe Serralo. Catch me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo on Instagram at Joe Serralo. Joining me, my man Mackenzie Rivers. Catch him on Twitter at McKen Rivers. And we are coming to you twice a week to bring you the best of what's going on in the association. And hopefully, just hopefully, we'll make you a little bit of money along the way. Mackenzie, what is up, my man? I'm an English major, although I'm very good at math. Uh, let me just say that hopefully implies also probably circa 1900 that that change in language occurred. So I'm glad that you are on board, hopefully, meaning most likely. I mean, if all goes to plan, we're going to make you some cash on this podcast, not only with the fish that we provide, but teaching you how to fish, what strategies, what movements to be looking out for. The NBA is a difficult game to beat. But there are so many props opportunities. There are so many games per day. You don't have to bet any games with when the value's not there. There's a lot of opportunity. We're going to come at you twice a week, provide you with best bets and our analysis, power ratings, all that. Excited to get going. I, I can't wait. And Mackenzie, you mentioned all those props. I have to thank you. You're Kevin Durant over 27 and a half points the other night against Atlanta. That made me big money. Even double down, hit him over 34 and a half points and rebounds in that one. So I'm looking forward to gaining some knowledge with you. You're way more into props than I am. I'm more of a sides and totals guy. But let's dive in with the biggest headline in the NBA right now. Steph Curry, I think we can all agree, the greatest three-point shooter of all time. He came up short of Ray Allen's record for three-point field goals made the other night against Philly. But he's got a chance to set that record in Indiana, if not then Tuesday night in the Mecca in Madison Square Garden. What was your biggest takeaway from Saturday night's loss by Golden State at Philly? That the other team gets paid too. <laughs> Matisse Thibel and Joel Embiid after the game, uh, all smiles, obviously. We're, talk we're like, we were talking about this all week, all day. We were not going to let this happen in our building. It makes a lot of sense. The 76ers, I'll get to this later, are an underrated defensive team. To think that, oh, all right, well, national television, Curry has a record a foot. It's going to be all it's going to be all smiles for Golden State. Miss the fact that the 76ers, when healthy, which they are right now, are one of the best teams in the league. They weren't going to make it easy for them. And, and no, they absolutely didn't. He shot just six of twenty from the floor, just three of fourteen from beyond the arc. And Steph has been such a consistent fourth quarter performer. The Golden State Warriors this year, one of the best fourth quarter teams in basketball going into that game against Philly their scoring margin was plus three and a half points per game in the fourth quarter and that was when they went cold I mean they had a three-point lead the spread of course was Golden State minus three they were up three going into that fourth quarter if you bet on Golden State you must have been sitting back going the way they play in the fourth quarter uh, this is going to be easy money and they collapsed part of that a humongous part of that McKenzie is Steph going just one of six from the floor, all three-pointers in that fourth quarter. So what do you attribute his just absolute absence in that quarter? Steph Curry is a shooter. Ask Kobe Bryant. Shooters shoot, and they'll keep shooting, and they'll keep missing. Sometimes it happens in the fourth quarter. Matisse Thibault gets a, you know, gets a game ball. He's one of the better defenders in the league, much like, much like Bridges out in Phoenix, and he's making that step. But it's, it's just one game. It's one game in 82. I don't... I don't think the 76ers have their number or anything like that. In fact, what I took out from the game was actually was actually more impressed by the Warriors' continual excellent defense. The game went far under 15 points under the total. Seems like every single time the Warriors are facing an elite team, that game goes far under the total. 
except for that one game where Devin Booker was out. Anyway, if you look at the Warriors' defense, and this is why Draymond Green, sneaky best bet, plus 200, is going to win Defensive Player of the Year. They've held – Vegas has the team total, which is like I want to bet just one team scoring more or less points than expected. If you bet under on the Warriors' opponent team total the last 16 games, you cashed 15 of those tickets, including – Saturday night when the Sixers won the game easily, only scored 103 points. Yeah, only 103. And like you said, they won that game big because of an amazing fourth quarter where they outscored Golden State by a dozen. You know, Golden State, you want to talk about the under, and that's a great stat you just brought out with the opponent under. But Golden State also, in their games played, has the highest under percentage in the league. Any game featuring the Golden State Warriors has gone under 17 out of their, what, 25, 26 games that they've played this year. So any Warriors game, if you want to bet the opponent to go under or the game itself to go under, it seems like a pretty smart bet. Well, we have to consider that the market adjusts for this. The Warriors were not considered a top five, top 10, above average defense coming into this season. Those estimations were wrong. The fact that they're doing it with Jordan Poole playing two guard when he's about to be replaced by Klay Thompson, an elite defender, and this guy's a second-year player, not a good defender at all, makes me think that their defense might keep this level. But we have to be very careful. Team goes 60% under the first quarter of the season, first third of the season. Vegas is aware of that. They're going to set their numbers lower. I would say, yes, the Golden State Warriors defense has been the most consistent, maybe outside of the Jazz, in the league. And I expect that – oh, I'm sorry, not the Jazz. The Suns, I meant, have been very excellent on defense as well. But I think what we look at is selectively unders for Golden State games when they're facing a contender that we know both sides are going to bring the defense. I'm 5-1 and one on NBA Max plays that I give out to my clients on pregame.com. My last winner, let's not talk about my last one, but my last winner when I went to 5-0 and oh was the under on Golden State versus the Clippers. 40 points scored in the first quarter, 20 points scored less than the total. I'm going to look for those situations coming up because – the Warriors didn't have it going offensively, but they weren't going to be outscored, thus the under. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Jordan Poole, and I know that you brought him up for the purpose of discussing how Klay Thompson is going to be such an upgrade defensively when he returns over Jordan Poole. But can we just talk about the great game that Jordan Poole played in this one? I mean, in a game where Steph Curry really couldn't throw a rock in the ocean, Jordan Poole had the best offensive performance out of any Golden State Warrior on a primetime game Saturday night in Philly. I mean. I was really impressed by his performance. 23 points, got to the rim at will, also over 44% from beyond the arc, four of nine. Uh, he had a great game. And here's the thing. Jordan Poole wasn't expected to be a major factor, but he's scoring 18 points a game. Yes, he's about to be supplanted by Klay Thompson, but Bill Simmons talks about this concept. In the regular season, you need 10 guys, 11 guys. In the playoffs, you're looking for that seventh guy. Who on that bench... When, when there's an injury or when the starters need that rest, who can you bring that's, that you think is a PTP or to steal a phrase, a guy that's not going to be afraid of the limelight? I think Jordan Poole's that guy. We saw it in the tournament when he led the, when he led Michigan, one of their best players with Wagner, to the final. And we, we've seen it in his, in his early year career. I mean, I don't think he's going to win it because he's not that discussed, but he's got to be the most improved player in the league. Eight points a game his rookie year, 12 last year. Now he's scoring 18 points a game. John Morant is probably going to win it because it's a better narrative. Yeah. But wow. 
Very, very impressive from the 22-year-old. Yeah, there's no doubt Jordan Poole's as deserving as anyone, but I will say him going to the bench might be the best thing for Golden State down the stretch. I know right now they're back and forth with Phoenix for the one seed in the West. Them, Phoenix, Utah, head and shoulders above everyone else. But down the stretch, when everyone brings their A game every night, come the postseason, having a guy like Jordan Poole on the bench is going to be so huge because if you look at what Golden State's bench did against Philadelphia, it was non-existent. The 76ers bench outscored Golden State's 30-16 to 16 in this one. The Warriors had no production, essentially, outside of Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. And I know Curry, you know, he had points. He had 18 of them. But when I talk about production, I mean, that was not a productive night of shooting. Like I said, 6 of 20 from the floor, 3 of 14 from beyond the arc. Uh, that was the opposite of productive. Here's a stat for you. Steph Curry's worst shooting season of his career would be this season. We're going to throw out the we're going to throw out the year where he only threw five only played five games. Yeah. But 43% for the MVP favorite, not that impressive. Here's my take on the Warriors and Steph Curry. Steph Curry's probably about as good as he's been over the last 5 years. He's had ups, he's had downs, he had his unanimous MVP season where he couldn't miss, shot 50% from the floor. He's about as good as where he was, which is impressive because he's 32 years old now. A lot of smaller guards would have dropped off, but the Warriors are better. So he's going to win MVP, not because of anything that he did except maintain excellence, but Draymond Green finally came into the season in shape. Jordan Poole and others have stepped up. Andrew Wiggins actually looks like the number two overall pick that he was once upon a time. That's why no other team has been upgraded more. The lines opened up. The title odds opened up. They were 12 to 1. They've cut that payout in half. They're 6 to 1. They're second favorites behind the Nets. I think it's deserving. They still have a huge question mark. There's a lot of variability in the Clay Thompson return, in just whether or not this is 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 uh is sustainable from these particular players. I tend to think it is though, because most of the most of the core unit is still there. It's just about adding that last piece. And I don't know. Warriors at six to one. What do you think right now? Obviously, I would have liked it a lot better in July getting him at twelve to one. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't prefer twelve to one over six to one? But I gotta be honest, <laughs> man. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. They're only going to get better. It's not like Clay Thompson is some new superstar or some diva that they're picking up at the trade deadline. And even though the talent is there, the chemistry is going to get thrown off. No, no, no. Steph Curry and Clay Thompson have been playing together for what, nearly a decade? I mean, these right. two thrive with each other. Draymond Green thrives with Curry and Thompson. I don't think Wiggins is going to all of a sudden fall off. He's going to get less opportunities, less shots, no doubt. I mean, as he should, of course, right? Uh, same with Jordan Poole. He's going to get less shots, as he should, when Clay Thompson returns. But as long as Poole and Wiggins are still performing percentage-wise, still being, uh, still giving Golden State, rather, the same amount of productivity in their respective roles, uh, this is a team that I would absolutely pounce on at 6-1. to one. I have more faith in them than I do in the Brooklyn Nets, who, look, of course, come the postseason, there's going to be fewer rest days. Harden got his first tonight. Durant's had quite a few. We don't know when Kyrie comes back, if they're going to get better. Uh, Kyrie is a guy who, you know, from my perspective, if I was to gain a guy down the stretch looking to make a postseason run, I'd rather have Klay Thompson returning from injury than Kyrie returning from, you know, whatever his head case self is up to now. <laughs> that's actually that's actually a fairly astute point, in my opinion. Not because Klay Thompson's better than Kyrie Irving. They're probably no. equal, equal players, similar uh, similar top 20 players, in my, in my opinion. But Klay Thompson is such a known quantity as far as his style of play, let alone his personality, let alone that he seems to be 
of the same uh, of the same spirit as everybody else on the Warriors, and that's easier to tap into. But just playing style wise, Kyrie Irving is a huge uh, variability as far as taking the ball out of James Harden's hands at the point guard position, making Kevin Durant play a little bit differently. He'll be interesting, but good news for Brooklyn Nets fans. Apparently, uh, they have a new vegan plant-based vaccine that Kyrie is considering, not taking. No, he doesn't have time to necessarily take any vaccines at the moment, but he is considering taking. That signals to me that one way or another before June, he will be back on the team. Will it improve the team? Will the team uh, necessarily welcome him back with open arms? I'm not sure. I, I mean, it's tough to say. He has put his team in a very compromising position so far this year. And look, they've come out of it. They have the best offensive player on the planet, or you can argue top two, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. But they've got Durant. They've got James Harden, who has been in the discussion, maybe not the past two years, but leading up to that, to be a top three offensive player on the planet. Uh, I mean, the Nets have talent with or without Kyrie. If Kyrie is there, he can definitely push them over the top. But at the same time, I mean, which Kyrie are we going to get? Are we going to get the Kyrie who wants to set up Durant and James Harden to win games? Or are we going to get the same Kyrie who argued that he should have been taking last second shots over LeBron in Cleveland? I mean, give me a break, right? So so which Kyrie are we going to get? Whereas, you know, Thompson, like we've already said, you know, to, to quote Clyde Frazier, Clay Thompson is cooler than the other side of the pillow, right? Like, you know what you're going to get with this guy. He is calm, composed, collected at all times, and he is a great teammate. He knows his role. I won't quite say he's a number two, but he's the 1B, clearly, on Golden State to Steph Curry's 1A, and he's cool with that. And Kyrie's not and hasn't been throughout the course of his career. So I'd rather be getting Thompson down the stretch than Irving. Let's talk about a clear number one, and one thing you'll – you'll get from me uh, talking NBA is is a pushback against the whole dichotomy of he's a number one, he's a Batman, he's a Robin. I always bring it back to 1980, 1985, 1988, any Lakers championship. Was Kareem some sort of Robin? Because I don't think so. He was maybe yeah. the greatest player in the world ever up to that point. Was Magic Johnson some kind of Robin? No. I think the same thing with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. I think it's, it's, a, it's a fallacy to think that there can't be two – that the – the basketball can't be played with two alpha dogs playing at maximum capacity, getting theirs. But Damian Lillard's never had that opportunity. I know you wanted to get into uh, some of the latest developments going on with, with the drama in Portland. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's set this up, right? You've got Dame Lillard, who, despite the fact that I am a huge Knicks fan, Dame Lillard is my favorite player on the planet. And he is signed in Portland through 2025. But now on top of that, he is seeking an additional extension worth two more years and $107 million. Now, McKenzie, this would pay him 52 mil at age 35 and 55 mil at age 36. I mean, look, like I said, Dame is my favorite player, but come on, man. I am all for getting your bag, right? Doing what you have to do. Get what you have earned, but don't you want to win? I, I mean, an extension like that, would put him at around 45% of his team's projected salary cap when that time comes, when 2026, 2027 rolls around. And what room does that leave you for a supporting cast that can actually bring a championship to Portland? I know he's got his one conference finals appearance, got swept at the hands of the Warriors. Outside of that, can't make it out of the first round of the playoffs. I mean, I love Dame time, but I think you've already made a ton of money at this point in your career, both through basketball and through the rap game. At this point, my man, it's time to try to win a championship, right? Is that extra 
10 to 15 million really going to make a difference at this point in your career when you can have studs around you and bring a ring to Portland for the first time since 1977? I mean, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry to go on a rant like this, but to me, coming from my favorite player, this is just absolute selfishness. Sure. And we talked a little bit about this on the test pod that we did. An excellent piece of recording, probably radio hall of fame, podcast hall of fame worthy stuff that you will never hear. First ballot. First ballot. <laughs> and we talked about Tim Duncan taking less money for the championship Spurs. Dirk Nowitzki later in his career, not even that late in his career, took team friendly contracts. And Damian Lillard has been very outspoken. He practically demanded a trade request over the summer, kind of stepped back from that off the ledge a few days later. But you know one thing I've never heard from Damian Lillard is criticism of his front office saying, I need to get this or I need to get that. Now it's starting to come out. The subtext of it is, what are you willing to do for the Portland Trailblazers? If it's nothing, then that's fine. But I don't want to hear how you're not being a, a – supplemented complemented with enough talent when you're taking at 35 years old every last dollar that you can take now that said there's different ways to look at this if i'm the portland trailblazers i probably pay the man i know it's not going to win me a championship i know there's no way i can bring in enough requisite talent but how often are you going to get a top 10 top 5 player in your league in your city in a small market for a decade plus that kind of thing helps the Portland brand, the Blazers brand, uh, the kind of guy you bring around for the 50, the 100-year ceremony. If I'm an NBA fan, I want Portland to trade Damian Lillard because I want him to be playing competitive basketball in June in the latest stages because he is one of the clutchest players we've ever seen. He's ended not one but two teams' seasons on a single shot. I think only Michael Jordan has done that outside of him. I want to see that. I want to see him be a bad man, to quote Stephen A. Smith, when it matters most, because I think he can. But the Blazers have made wrong turn after wrong turn after wrong turn. Unlike Dirk's Mavericks, they're not a piece away. They're not, if it fits right and Sean Marion plays his best ball, none of that. They're not there. So I think this is a crossroads, and maybe it could be a mutually beneficial crossroads if they did the painful thing and said, you're not going to get what you want here. And we can't afford to pay you $40 million and accomplish our goals. I'm with you a thousand percent. You know, the Trailblazers are in a really unique position right now, right? Because Paul Allen, of course, who was the owner of this team for decades, has passed. And now his sister is running the show. And what you got with Paul Allen was an owner who was also his team's biggest fan. And you can say that's a great thing. You can say that's not a great thing. Because at times, I'm sure his decisions were impacted by his fandom. And a guy who loves the Blazers as much as we all know Paul Allen did might have been inclined to throw whatever money Dame Lillard was asking for at him because he was such a fan of Lillard and loved having him around. And that's understandable, right? But with Allen's sister running the show, this is strictly business. And the Blazers are in a place where they realize that the supporting cast of McCollum and Nurkic that they've put around Lillard is really good, but it's not going to contend for a Western Conference title, let alone an NBA title. And they currently have an interim GM. Of course, Neil Olshey has been fired from Portland. He's been on his way out. And they're looking to replace him. Now, the question, if you're the Trailblazers, that you have to ask is, will Neil Olshey's replacement be hired based on his or her eagerness to build around Dame or their willingness to trade Damian Lillard? And that is not going to be a popular first move made. 
by a new general manager in Portland, but it might be the smarter one moving forward. Because while Dame on the team through 2027 will, yes, sell tickets, it will sell a ton of merchandise for sure, and it will keep fans coming in even if the, uh, if the quality of competitive basketball isn't there. They'll keep coming in to see one of the league's greatest players. But will it set you up to win a championship at your soonest possible time in Portland? It absolutely will not. You might have to go through some lean years, completely tear it down, collect draft picks. That's just the necessary evil that I believe has to be done in Portland right now. And Dame Lillard is not a part of the Trailblazers' future if they're trying to win a championship. I made my biggest bet of the NFL season today on the Dallas Cowboys at Washington. And at least 50% of my bet, mentally, was the organization that Washington represents. The fact that they, and this is you know an aside, I'll get back to Portland, uh-huh. but Dan Snyder has prioritized each and every press conference for 25 years, and it drives people crazy in Washington. They have no home support. The staff doesn't care. The staff calls Daniel Snyder DS behind his back because they don't want to use his whole name. There's a, there's a frustration there because he cares so much, because he wants to sign every big free agent, because he's in the meeting room waving pom-poms, not knowing a thing about football. And that's why over... 200 games in FedEx field, Washington's only 42%. And we got there to the window with the Cowboys today. Check me out at (laughs) pregame.com. The Portland Trailblazers had that owner, except he might've had a good heart. He might've had a better mind. I mean, he created Microsoft. Dan Snyder in Washington created some marketing, radio telemarketing scheme you've never heard of that made him a billion dollars. No, Paul, Paul Allen was instrumental in Microsoft. And a great guy, like you mentioned. And a guy that paid... Brandon Roy, $100 million, who retired at like 28 yeah. because he didn't have knees and he, and he couldn't, he was never going to be a franchise NBA player. A lot of people saw that. Me as a, as a fan, as a, as a, what was I, 2006. So as a 16 year old, I'm like, yeah, pay him his money. I love Brandon Roy. He's so clever. I want to see him in the playoffs. Oh my God, it was all worth it because he came back and he won, playoff, won that one playoff series. It wasn't. It was a fan decision that probably set the Blazers back. Maybe similar with getting rid of Aldridge and prioritizing Lillard. Maybe at that point you had to say, wait a minute, am I really going to tie my purse strings to this one 6-1 player? Often a poor decision. Now that Paul Allen's not out of the picture, it might be time for some grown-up decisions in Portland. It might be easier. It would be easier. It would be more ideal. And Adrian Wojnarowski wrote about this. Uh, or warned about this in his column. Well, a lot of GMs are worried that they wouldn't be able to do this and that. Yeah, I know where that's coming from. That's O'Shea kind of making the point, kind of talking background to to Waz, to, uh, to Wojnowski, saying, hey, you know, I was kind of in a between a rock and a hard place. What was I really supposed to do? Kind of protecting his credibility. But it's a good point. The guy that goes in there, if, he, if his job is to throw a championship t- together around Damian Lillard, then he's going to be fired in about 18 months. Because that's not going to happen. If his job is in the next four years, create a Dallas Mavericks-like, a Miami Heat-like culture, team. Miami Heat doesn't have any play- any players that won championships there. They have a franchise, an identity that Jimmy Butler, others can get their arms around and go forward. That doesn't exist in Portland. Right now, they just lucked in with the number six pick out of Murray State, a great player. That's not enough. That's just one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I love the shout out for my guy, Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, of course. Shout out to my fellow St. Bonaventure Bonnie alum. I was uh, oh. I was hanging out with him yesterday at the UConn Bonaventure game over at the Prudential Center. ESPN2 had him as the sideline reporter 
for his alma mater's uh, game. That was a great time. But back to this Dame Lillard talk, man. If he is on his way out of Portland, what do you see as some ideal but also realistic destinations for him? It's funny because you think of talent for talent and you think of some trade ideas, but if they're getting rid of Damian Lillard, if they're getting rid of C.J. McCollum, the shooting guard for the Blazers, then that's because they want to get better. If they're getting rid of Damian Lillard, it's because they want to bottom out. If that's the case, I get a project like maybe Ben Simmons. I get draft picks. I think in three or four years, look what OKC is doing. They have nobody. They have Dort, who everybody found out in the bubble was an NBA basketball player. And they have SGA, Shea Gillis-Alexander, who's actually a pretty good player. Whenever they rest him, they lose by 70 because they have no talent. Literally, the last time they rested him, they lost by an NBA record, 73 points. They have no talent outside of them. That's by design because they want two or three assets to come together right when they need to be good. The process, you know, in an instant, microwave style, that's the goal. That's what a team bottoming out with intelligence does, what Sam Presti is doing. So that, that, that tells me if the Blazers make that difficult decision, they don't want to get talent back. And that leaves two possible scenarios that I just am, as a fan, drooling over. I think they'd be instant contenders. One I already mentioned is the 76ers. They're not playing Ben Simmons right now, and they're doing fine with Seth Curry at point guard. They need a little more punch in the backcourt. They have the defense already. Seth Curry would be a great, kind of like Jordan Poole. He's a good starter. He'd be a really, really good scorer off the bench for that team. And the other team for Damian Lillard, possible trade destination, I would love to see him on Boston. I think they've tried different scoring point guards, Kyrie, Kemba Walker. It's difficult to be a good scoring point guard and facilitate a team that's focused around the second, the number two, and the number three, the shooting guard and the small forward in Tatum and Brown. I think Lillard has the disposition to do that. He's already scored a bunch of times. He's already has a bunch of bunch of all-star games and records. He's into winning. And I think that's I think that could that could be a good fit in Boston. I think, man, either one of those deals happen. I think outside of the Nets, you're looking at the number two team in the East. Bingo. I'm with you 100%, man. More so, actually, on the Boston deal than Philly. Now, look, first off, I just want to get the New York Knicks out of everyone's heads, right? Damian Lillard to the New York Knicks. Look, I've dreamt about it. I was dying for it last offseason. It's just not realistic because if the Knicks are going to win with Lillard, they're going to need to pair him with guys like R.J. Barrett, Jules Randle. And meanwhile, I don't think Portland is going to send Lillard to the Knicks without getting R.J. Barrett, O.B. Toppin, and some draft picks in return. And that kind of totally defeats the purpose of bringing Dame to New York. So Knicks fans, I'm sorry, but just get that fantasy out of your heads. As far as Philly, what's interesting there is that Dame Lillard and Joel Embiid would instantly be considered one of the best duos, one of the best one-two punches in the league. But, you know, this has been really ever since the Celtics trio of KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, this has been a league of big threes. And I don't know if the 76ers can sustain a big three that would be Lillard, Embiid, and Tobias Harris. Because Portland, A, might want Tobias Harris as part of their return for Lillard, both for cap reasons and also just to have someone worth watching on the Trailblazers. But additionally, from Lillard's perspective, if he goes to Philly and he's with Embiid and Harris, I mean, there's no way you're just going to get the payday that, you know, you just saw it out from your own team, from the Portland Trailblazers, 55 mil a year. That's not going to happen if your teammates with Embiid and Harris. So 
Uh, I don't know how much sense Philly makes. I mean, look, if they shipped off Harris and they had Lillard and Embiid, that would be great. They'd win a lot of games. I don't know if they'd win in the postseason, though. And that's that that would be the entire purpose of that trade. So for that reason, man, I think Dame to the Boston Celtics makes the absolute most sense. I think as far as structuring the trade, you can send over Dennis Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard, Al Horford can help the salaries align, and then a ton of draft picks. And you can get Lillard back, pair him with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Yes, you'd be working with a small team for the remainder of this year, but you go out next offseason, you improve upon your size, and all of a sudden, the Boston Celtics right up there with the 76ers and the Nets atop, forget the conference, but that very stacked division. But it's not going to happen. I mean, do we think it's going to happen? I mean, the Blazers, I feel like we've seen this movie before. They're, they're, they're going to pussyfoot out. They're, they're, they're just going to, they're not going to do anything. And then some summer, maybe probably this summer, it'll be like, wow, Damian Lillard signs a 200 million contract somewhere else. The fact that they have an asset now, I think is an underrated factor in this. You could lose them for nothing very shortly, or you could find yourself with a $50 million albatross contract around your neck. We saw this with, uh, we've seen this many times in history. Either you act now or most likely you just get caught holding the bag. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, it's in the Blazers' best interest to act now, but like yourself, I don't necessarily believe that they will. Uh Mackenzie, let's move on to some of the best games in the upcoming days, because we can sit around and speculate about Dame Lillard forever. We've got plenty of time to do so, still a ways to go, about a couple months before the NBA trade deadline. But we've got a couple great games on the slate, and we talked about the Boston Celtics. They are hosting the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow night. The Bucks, of course, had a big win at Madison Square Garden today over the Knicks. And the Celtics have opened as point and a half favorites in this one. So what do you need to know? What, what do the listeners need to know about this Bucks celtics matchup? Well, you might be surprised by the line that the Boston Celtics are actually favored. They haven't lived up that expectation so far this season with the below 500 record. This is a good example of the fact that the power ratings are a starting point. The Milwaukee Bucks, like you just said, today had a comeback victory against the New York Knicks, one by 15, covered all numbers, great job. Historically, the databases, analysis will show you this. Any team that's on the road that played the day before, zero days rest on a back-to-back is affected by about two points per game. So you, you knock that off their power ratings. And then you look at a team in the Milwaukee Bucks, and this is a Bucks team that had a pretty good excuse for not coming storming out the gates. They played longer than anybody's ever played in an NBA season, a full 82-game NBA season. They played until late July. So they were pretty not good, average, you could say, with Middleton at COVID and Giannis just not necessarily there. Since November 15th, I just pulled this up, plus 14 points per 100 possession over their opponents, 10-2. and two. They're actually dominating to a bigger degree than they were last year or even in the years prior when they were just a regular season juggernaut. Their system is so simple that kind of like the Utah Jazz, a lot like the Utah Jazz, it's rinse and repeat. Once they start getting stops and getting out on the break, they tend to blow out teams as much as anybody in the NBA. That said, because they've been so hot, because they've been red so hot, listeners have to look out for the injury report. I'm still kind of surprised that the Celtics are favored in this game, despite it being on a back-to-back, but that tells me there's a strong possibility we're going to get 
a, a news bulletin at 9 a.m. tomorrow. This guy, this guy, and Giannis are out. That's going to race the lineup to Knicks by significant favorite. I mean, Celtics significant favorites in this game. If that does happen, so it's something to look out for. Right now, I see value on the Bucks, but there's question marks. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned their system right there and the simplicity of their system. But to me, one of the most beautiful things about simplicity in sports is that more often than not, it leads to continuity. Look, I'm not going to compare the Milwaukee Bucks fresh off one NBA championship to the dynasty that has been the New England Patriots for the past 20 years. But the New England Patriots, you look at their system, does it get more simple than that in the NFL? I mean, you've got playbooks like the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Ravens that are full of tricks and options. I mean, in the Patriots, they just won a game uh, not even a week ago in which they threw three passes. And look, I know that the the weather and the circumstances were absolutely wild in that one, but it was defense. It was ground and pound. It was simple. And I know it's a different sport, but that really does apply to all sports. You want to look at baseball, right? Uh, I mean, there's so many advanced metrics nowadays. Which teams, more often than not, are the teams that are the last ones standing that win a World Series? It's the teams who play the best defense and have the best pitching, more often than not. Simplicity leads to continuity, leads to winning games. And the Milwaukee Bucks do it so well, and it almost looks so effortless at a certain point. You know, on the road, they've actually been better than they have been at home. They're 12 and 16 against the spread this season, but on the road, they are 9 and 6 straight up, which matters when the spread is as small as Boston minus one and a half. And then they are 8 and 7 against the spread on the road. The big question mark, like you mentioned, is are they missing anyone? Now, second game of a back-to-back, I'd be inclined to believe that Giannis might get a rest day, right? It's the NBA after all in 2021. Stars don't seem to play back-to-back nights. But the last time these teams played, it was a mid-November game in Boston. Celtics won 122-113, to and Giannis didn't play. I really struggle to see Giannis missing both games in Boston in the first half of the season. I mean, I know it's a long season. I know, like you mentioned, that they play later than anyone. But the competitor in him, right, the MVP in him, the world champion in him, a piece of him has to say, you know, last time they beat us by nine, I didn't play. If I played, we probably would have won that game. So I'm going to play in this one so we can win. If Giannis plays, I love Milwaukee in this one. And we know Giannis keeps score. He's the guy that literally took the crown off of LeBron James after he dunked on him or something and put it on his own head. He wants a win in Boston every year. He wants that fan base to feel his presence. I tend to agree with you. The the the, uh, the suspicious line, I mean, there are other people that could be out. Holiday, Middleton, both combined to be about worth five points to the line. But very, very, very likely going to be on my card tomorrow. Once everything gets shattered out, I don't mind losing a point of value. I'd rather play the Bucks minus two if I knew everybody was playing than play the Bucks plus one and a half right now. I'll say it like that. And you say a very good point about the 2021 season and rest in the NBA. We pulled this up right before the season started. There was one team, the Brooklyn Nets, that had an over-under out of 82 games. I was expected to win 55 or more games. There were 55 and a half. Go back just two years ago. Before load management had taken such a death grip over the NBA in the regular season, 10 teams, 10 teams, eight or 10 teams, I forget, but a bunch of teams, including the Boston Celtics, who were not anywhere close to the title favorites, were expected to win 56, 57, 60 plus games. The market realized very early on in this process, you know, months before the season, Nets aren't going to play everybody every night. 
Bucks aren't going to play everybody every night. Lakers aren't going to play everybody every night. We've already seen that come to fruition. COVID seems to be rampant across the league, unfortunately, right now. So it's a game of it's a game of managing expectations, and that's why it's 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 difficult. There's usually a lot more value on NBA sides the night before, but there's also a lot more question marks, and there's more question marks than ever. Yeah, you know, bottom line for me is that there's too many damn question marks, and I can live like yourself with the value shifting because I've been burned too many times by saying that looks too good to be true. And more often than not, it was. A great example of this was taking the Nets against the Rockets a few nights ago when KD was slated to play the night before. And I believe when it was all said and done, he didn't even travel to Houston with the team, right? So I got burned right there. Um, ESPN didn't even have him in their injury report like hours before the game. You really have to do some digging. It's, It's the sad reality of where we're at in terms of load management. But in this case, you know, the line's not gonna move more than what, two, three points. And when it's already so close to being a pick'em, like you said, man, I would much rather have Milwaukee minus two, knowing that their big three of Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis is all playing, than take them plus one and a half and uh, and deal with a little bit of mystery right now, like we're looking at. Last point I'll make numbers-wise to this game, Celtics have played very few home games, just 10 home games this year. They are four and six in those 10 home games against the spread. Also in their last 10, just total games against the spread, four and six there as well. And they've failed to cover in three straight. So again, as long as Giannis, um, you know, Middleton and Holiday, they matter too, a ton of course. But mainly for me, it's as long as Giannis plays, I'm hitting the bucks in a spread this close. I agree with you. And just to hammer home the point on misaligned value as far as where this line might go, the NBA totals used to be about 200 when I started betting the NBA. Now they're about 220. And we see the inflation of points happen a lot at end of games, a lot of foul outs, a lot of desperation threes. So the margins between, and this is important if you're a live better is two to consider. If if it's tied with two minutes left, I expect the team to win, to win most likely by five plus. That's just the way it goes in the NBA. A lot of late runs decide these things. So if tomorrow I have to lay two points with the Bucks, yeah, I, I, I might mind it. I wish I would have got the better number. I'm going to try to be on top of it looking at the news to get the better number once I'm sure that I have enough information to go. But important concept I'll be talking about throughout the season, points matter less in the NBA, particularly the points around Pickham. Yeah, this isn't football, right? Where I took the Ravens plus two and a half today Mm. against the Cleveland Browns. And thank God, thank God. I thought thought you were going to say you were on the Browns minus two and a half. Man, what a... What a finish. No, I was on the, and honestly, you know, I wanted to go Ravens money line. Like I I took Atlanta money line. I saw that one really clearly. I wanted to go Ravens money line. I said, you know what? In this one with kickers and Justin Tucker and whatnot, let me just take the points. And it worked, right? But in the NBA, like you said, two points doesn't matter as much because of fouling, because of late game heroics, antics, however you want to phrase it. A team who, like you said, if a game's tied or if a team's up one or two with two minutes to go. There's going to be free throws, folks. It's probably going to be a four or five point game like you just said. And so I'm with you 100%. One and a half to two doesn't matter at all, in my opinion. Well, it does matter, but very slightly when it comes to basketball as opposed to when it comes to football. But let's move in to our last game. It's the Warriors and the Knicks, a Tuesday night showdown at Madison Square Garden. And this could potentially be the game where Steph Curry passes Ray Allen for the most made three-pointers of all time. Mackenzie, do you see that happening tomorrow night in Indiana, or do you think it comes down to this showdown at the Mecca? Honestly, if the Indiana arena was still called Banker's Life Fieldhouse, 
maybe because there's some there's some potency there and i'm obviously talking very abstractly i mean he could get lucky and hit a bunch of threes or not there's a lot of variabilities but i'm just thinking for the legendariness of it for for the night for what what he's going to tell his grandchildren what's going to be on the posters does he really want to break this record at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, the new <laughs> the new name of the Pacers Arena? I don't think so. And in fact, there's some rumors, there's some rumblings that they're actually going to sit him tomorrow night for this game so that he can do it in the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. That seems just so much more poetic to me. I'd like to see it happen in Madison Square Garden. If he ends up playing, if Curry ends up playing in Indiana, I'm going to look at um I'm going to look at the under for Curry, last time they set it out at six and a half threes, which, by the way, is just inflated. I mean, he's only averaging five and a half threes, which is a career high. So we would expect that to tick down maybe around five. So if they post it at six and a half again in Indiana, they're not a very good team. I don't expect them to play heavy minutes. I would definitely like under six and a half. Haven't posted it. Haven't seen it posted yet, but that's something I'm looking out for. Yeah, that's something I'm looking for too. And, you know, there will be more on that to come from myself. But looking at this Warriors-Knicks game, I mean, it just seems that so many guys have had big games at the Garden, whether it's Jordan, whether it's Kobe and LeBron, who have each respectively had historic performances there, James Harden. Uh, I mean, it seems that guys come to MSG and they really do play their best. So looking at this just from a basketball perspective, I don't see the Knicks being all that competitive in this one. The projected line I'm looking at right now is Golden State minus one and a half. You look at the Warriors on the road, six and four against the spread this season, fifth best cover percentage among all NBA teams away from home. They're four and three as an away favorite, which they likely will be in this one. They are two and one against the spread with no days off and five, two and one with the rest advantage. And they are nine and two against the spread. They were nine and one going into Saturday. Now nine and two against the spread in non-conference games, by far the best mark in the league. I will leave you with this after a straight up loss. And maybe this applies more to the Indiana game than the Knicks game. They're four and zero against the spread after a straight up loss. So the Warriors, after blowing one, especially the way they did in primetime Saturday night, I think they're going to go on a rampage these next two games, Indiana, Knicks. I like them in both. Well, let's keep in mind that I projected the line at one and a half for the Warriors, docking them two points because it's a double, it's a back to back. Very interesting scenario. We saw this with actually the Nets and the Hawks, which we talked about in our test pod. If they rest Curry, now I, I kind of lean towards the Warriors to take care of business in the Mecca. Knicks completely not the team that they were last year. But if they rest Steph Curry for the Pacers game, but they play him for the Knicks game, the market, the algorithms that they use are still going to dock the team two points for being on a back-to-back but their best player and the engine of their offense will not be on a back-to-back. Those are often golden situations. I bet that Kevin Durant would score over his points prop because he wasn't on a back-to-back. He was as fresh as can be. He scored 31 and the Nets won. I could see a very similar situation. If they rest rest Curry for one game and they're on a back-to-back in Madison Square Garden the next night, I think max bet opportunity, potentially. Follow me on pregame.com get the you know official releases when I'm releasing them but I definitely like that that is a sneaky advantage we see in the NBA when there's a rest advantage or a rest disadvantage the Warriors will be on a back-to-back in New York what players does that affect it might not be all of them and I'm with you 100% there plus throw on top of that the fact that the New York Knicks have been absolutely brutal 
at Madison Square Garden this year. You know, we talk about all the uh, incredible opposing players, right? The stars that come to MSG and they show out for their one, two nights a season. They get there. The Knicks at home, just four and 10 against the spread. One of the worst marks in basketball. They're 0-3 covering as a home dog. And they're just 2-4 and four covering in non-conference games. I mean, last season, the Knicks were the best team in basketball against the spread, going 47-30. and 30. This year, in almost every category, they're bottom three, bottom five, if not the worst team in that respective category in the NBA when it, ter- when it comes to covering. It just doesn't seem like they'll be able to hold their own in this one against Golden State. Jules Randle has been streaky. R.J. Barrett had an amazing start to the year. Since then, he's been streaky. I mean, Christ, Kemba Walker hasn't played in two weeks, right? The Knicks are in a funk, and Golden State's not the team to correct yourselves against. And when someone's the number one, when a team is the number one ATS team in the league, it has to bear the question, is there something fundamentally that we missed? Okay. Also, did they just get, you know, kind of lightning in a bottle with smoke and mirrors, something that's not necessarily repeatable if the market was that off in assessing their talent? And as a Chicagoan, it makes me think of the time that the Derrick Rose-led Bulls in Tibbs' rookie year, or first year as the coach of the Bulls, Went 62 and 20, best team in the league, number one record in the league. They weren't the best team in the league. They weren't the number one record team in the league. Tibbs, in his first year in Chicago, in Minnesota, in New York, coach of the year last year, has proven to beat the odds at a remarkable rate. In subsequent years, not so much. Now that Derrick Rose is a year older, not playing as much, not playing as well. Now that Kemba, they've made this big splash for Kemba Walker, the Knicks probably don't even make the playoffs this year, which kind of shocks me because I was all in. I was in on the bandwagon for most of that run last year. Cashed many a ticket with them. Playoffs, kind of a wake-up call. Not as good as the Hawks, not close. This year, kind of a wake-up call. Kind of a below-average team that needs some pieces. Julius Randle's a nice player, maybe an all-star. One of the worst playoff performances in history last year. Not a good way to start uh, your all-star status resume. But they're just not they're just not that good. And if the market does dock the Warriors significantly for the back to back and they're only a one and a half, two point favorite, even if they're a three point favorite, that's definitely the side, in my opinion, because they have something to play for, because uh, they already dropped one of these nationally televised games during this Steph Curry three point record run. I think they do get it done. I tend to agree with you. Should we move on to our very best bets of the next couple of days? We absolutely should. I was going to say Golden State minus one and a half has best bet potential, but the line isn't official yet. So let's do our best bets, McKenzie. I want to turn the floor over to you to kick things off. All right. I am going to go. We talked about this team throughout the podcast. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia 76ers tomorrow. They're at the Memphis Grizzlies, and I'm going to go under 211 and a half the total. This all has everything to do with team profiles. Algorithms have a very, very difficult time delineating what is a team. They, besides PHI on the shoulder pad or the jersey, what constitutes the 76ers? What makes them them? In my opinion, it has almost everything to do with their defense, and that starts with Joel Embiid. In games where Joel Embiid has not been there, they've been an over team, and they've been a money under team when Embiid is in the lineup. He's a defensive player candidate for a reason, defensive player of the year candidate for a reason. And the other side, we have almost the exact same setup in reverse. 
The Memphis Grizzlies are an exciting, hot, flashy, go get them team when John ja Morant, their point guard, is in the lineup. In 19 games with John ja Morant playing for him this season, they've had games that average combined points of 226. In eight games since John ja Morant went down, first with an injury, now he's on the COVID protocol list. That goes down combined Grizzlies games only average 206, 20 points less. It's been even slower than that recently, and their last five games are only giving up 200 points. And the topper is that those numbers are actually higher than they should be if you consider what games have been competitive and what games have been against the also-rans of the NBA. Because the Grizzlies want to make the playoffs. When they're playing a team that jokes around and doesn't really care, they're a young bunch that want to run and want to shoot. They put up 150 on the hapless Thunder. They went in a high-scoring match with the Kings, with the Rockets. Teams that don't really care about anything other than you know, ta uh, developing talent and getting better and scoring a bunch of points so that their fans are happy. When they play teams like the Sixers that they're, they're coming up, the Hawks, we saw them go way under against the Lakers, Mavericks, Heat, Mavericks another time. Every time they play a team that actually cares about basketball and they don't have John Morant, those two things combine to a much slower paced game. We have Embiid in, we have John Morant out. All those factors make me love the under 211 and a half. There you go. Under 211 and a half in the Sixers Grizzlies game. Not only are we going to make each other sharper, I think we're going to make you, the audience, a lot of money throughout the course of the season. So, on behalf of Mackenzie Rivers, I'm Joe Serralo. Guys, we'll see you next week.